Hey, welcome back, cronies, to the bonus episode of Man Child Chronicles podcast. We're here with Mike Olson. We are going to tell some bonus stories to keep this train going. And cronies, I want to start out with a story that has traumatized me and made me who I am today, a cold-hearted person. And this is, uh, I was around eight or nine years, maybe 10 years old at the time, maybe 11, I don't know. <laughs> it was so traumatic, I can't remember the age anymore. But I, I was very spoiled, very spoiled as a kid, now that I'm an adult and realize it. Uh, my parents, uh, if I liked a toy line, uh, them, my uncles, aunts, grandparents, went all in for me on these toy lines. I had all the wrestlers from back in the day, WWF, WCW. I had all the Ninja Turtles. I had all the real Ghostbusters. I had Transformers, G.I. Joes, all that fun stuff. Okay. Well, I had my grandpa had made a toy box for me and my brother, and this was in my room. And let me just lay out out, uh, where my room was. My room was in the basement, and right next to my room was a bathroom downstairs. Right next to it. I mean, literally a piece of paneling separating my room from the bathroom. <laughs> That's how close it was. Um, so I decided as that young age, I'm too lazy to walk to the bathroom. I'm going to pee in the toy box. So I would pee in the toy box. <laughs> You're kidding me. I'm no. not kidding. <laughs> Uh, well, my dad, my parents didn't come down to my room very often, and I don't know if it was my mom putting my clothes away or my dad. My dad would watch TV downstairs, so I don't know if he smelled it from you there. Disgusting little boy. But they smelled the urine in my room, and I'm pretty sure my brother peed in there too. We both did. We thought it was fun. And well, my dad came in there, and boy, was he mad. I did not get a spanking. He went another route uh, for discipline, and he said, I'm going to clean each individual toy and scrub out that toy box. So I spent, this was like a Saturday, I think, I spent the whole day cleaning all these toys, scrubbing out this toy box, probably the hardest I ever worked up until that age, just to put all my toys in a box. My dad told me to get in the car with him. We drove to the city dump. In our city dump, that's where everybody took their garbage. Uh, we didn't have, uh, we did have a garbage man in that town, but we had a city dump where everybody went. And it, <laughs> at the city dump, they always had a big pit that was always burning. So we backed the vehicle up to this dump, and I had to throw all my childhood toys into this burning inferno wow. of fire. <laughs> oh. You Talk had about- to actually. No wonder Toy Story Three scars you so much. <laughs> <laughs> you, had about to live it out. you had to throw your toys into the fire. <laughs> Talk about a life lesson learned. Wow. Uh, now the only time I pee in closets is when I'm blackout drunk. Uh, uh, oh my gosh! Wow. Uh, uh, Mike, do you have any uh, like car chase stories? We've, we, I don't think we've heard a good car chase story yet, maybe. Oh, you haven't? Okay. Yeah, I, I had lots of them, of course, you know. Um, but we were doing the uh, Centennial 
over in a small community by the name of Bowdle. And uh, one of the troopers uh, tried to stop somebody on the edge of town and which started the chase. So he's calling in. He said, I got a guy trying to get away from me. So we all run to our vehicles, me and my deputy anyway, and we join in the chase. And so they're, they're already, you know, they're probably five miles into it. And, uh, and so we're thinking about how we're going to catch up with them. And well, they finally say, okay, now we're turning we're heading towards uh, back towards Ipswich on a different highway. And so, okay, well, I'm going to try to cut them off. Uh, and so I go a different direction about 30 miles. Wow. And, and I'm probably going 110, you know, trying to stay in front of them. This is at night, you know, and pitch black. And uh, so, and they're, they're going in the chase. The trooper's right behind them. And I do get in front of them. Uh, I can see the red lights coming. And so this guy gets to me. Of course, he don't stop. He goes, blows right through the roadblock and uh, goes, keeps going. Uh, he goes to a small community by the name of Crestbard, and there's some curves right there and on the edge of town and he hits those curves and of course oh. that car rolls probably Ooh. I don't know four or five times and wow. it was a guy and his girlfriend in the car uh, miracle they both survived uh, wow. very serious injuries you know but um, and, and that's why today you hear oftentimes where Someone makes a call to back off. We let's stop this chase. Somebody's going to get hurt or killed, and so uh, more times than not these days, uh, law enforcement call them kind of chases off just because they have very bad results. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, if you can get a good identification on the vehicle, it's better to back off and and try to apprehend later. Wow! Hmm. Wow! Yeah. Uh, well, what about, uh, like the funniest, uh, perp you've ever dealt with? And like, if they were like super drunk or, or, uh, or, you know, drug user or whatever, but they were like hilarious to deal with in their stupidity, anything like that? <laughs> wow. This is when I was a cop in Aberdeen. Uh, me and my partner get called to a fight at a bar. And uh, well, I told you how big I was. Well, my partner, he was probably about six one, six two. He weighed about 225 pounds. He was a wow. pretty good-sized boy. And uh, so we walk in the bar, and here's this gal sitting at a table, blood all over her face. And Whoa. what the heck happened? And she says, oh, that guy broke a glass in my face. Where is oh. he? And she points to him over at the bar. And uh, Roger says, you go over and talk to him. I'll stay here with her. 
Yeah, thanks, and, Roger. Thanks, yeah. Roger. That's <laughs> the one I thought, okay? So I go over there, and uh, I mean, this guy is a giant. I mean, I mean, a real giant. I'm talking six, 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 seven, maybe 300 pounds. Oh my I, he's just a giant. And so I walk over there, and I reach up and tap him on the shoulder. I said, sir, uh, you're going to have to come with me. we got to talk to you. And he reaches out, grab, grabs me by the collar, and lifts me right off the floor. <laughs> what? <laughs> I turn around. Roger. Roger. <laughs> I got a problem. <laughs> and so this, this gentle giant, as he turned out to be, he finally, we finally convinced him, we got to go outside. Okay, so we get him outside. Well, back then we had telephone booths. You know, sitting on the sidewalks. And this guy says, well, I need to make a phone call. Oh, well, okay, you're cooperating so far. Well, when we get him outside, we try to put handcuffs on him. The handcuffs will not fit around his <laughs> wrist. Oh, my god. That's gosh. how big he is. <laughs> and so, you know, he, I, we said, well, as long as, as long as you cooperate, we'll let you make a phone call. So he wiggles his way into this phone booth and shuts the door. We can't get him out. He's too big. So we call, for, a, we call for another unit, you know, two more guys. And I we, had, we eventually got him out of there, got him down to the jail. Uh, and it's a good thing he wasn't really on the fight or we'd have been in trouble. <laughs> But oh my uh, yeah, we need all law enforcement in South Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> Call the National Guard. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that was kind of a funny experience when it was all said and done. But uh, we're we're just lucky he cooperated really. Wow. No kidding. Did you ever have anybody, uh, you know, like on the Andy Griffith show, the town drunk? When you were a sheriff, that would always just uh, you'd always have to put behind bars for the night or to sleep it off or. But it was kind of like your friend at the same time. <laughs> well, there were, there were there were those guys, okay, that I would bring in. You know, back in those days, uh, drunk driving wasn't a priority like it is in today's world. You know, uh, and so a lot of times we'd give guys a ride home, and you know, just stay home. Um, thank God you didn't kill anybody or. Uh, if if we felt we had to bring him into the jail, a lot of times I didn't even lock the jail. I'd, <laughs> I'd throw him in there, okay, sleep it off, you know, because at that time we lived right down the hall from the jail. Oh, wow. My family lived in the courthouse. And there were a lot of times when Ryan and Eric or Sarah would walk down to the jail and visit with the prisoners. During the day. <laughs> that fact alone explains so much so about much. Ryan. So much. Oh, my goodness. Dad, I'm glad you brought up the time we lived in the courthouse. Yeah. So, first of all, super safe to have your family live in a courthouse. Second, tell them about uh, some of the hijinks I got into at the courthouse. Well, one of the most expensive ones that <laughs> I can recall. <laughs> 
was, uh, of course, they go out and they play in the parking lot, you know, at the courthouse. Yep. There's nowhere else to play. So uh, he's out there one day and he finds this really nice rock. And he he figures out that, you know, that rock makes a real neat sound when you scratch it across the side of a car. So he just started going through the parking lot, just scraping <laughs> every car he could get his hands on. Wrong with you, Ryan? <laughs> He's a stupid man. Huh? How stupid is that, fellas? I found a rock. What does it? Oh, that's what he did. That's what he did. He is, uh, he is literally Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy, Herbie Hancock. Oh man, how did that conversation go with all those people with the cars, Dad? Uh, not very well. I had to go through the whole courthouse and explain to them what just happened. Okay, get your estimates and let me know. That's oh. probably why we lived in the courthouse in a little tiny apartment. <laughs> That's why. Then he moved you to the farm. It got worse. Uh, oh. Did you... At whatever level, I mean, I know you said I think you had worked or, or met with the governor quite a bit and the attorney general, but in your law enforcement uh, career or, or even some of the the private sector stuff you did, did you ever get to meet any celebrities or, or high-level politicians or anything like that? Oh, yes. When I was police department in Aberdeen, uh, Johnny Cash was coming to town. Whoa! Oh, yeah. Nice. And uh, I got to be the unit that went to the airport to pick him up. Nice. No way. Yeah. And so <laughs> I got to escort Johnny Cash to the Civic Arena in Aberdeen, South Dakota. He's quite a quite a guy, really. Um, yeah, one of the highlights of my career. Yep. Got to escort Johnny Cash. That's wow. awesome. That's awesome. That Did you ask him awesome. any questions? Oh, gosh, I can't even remember. Uh, I was probably too afraid to ask him anything other yeah. than just listen to him. Yeah. What, now, you did your own. You were a private investigator. You had your own investigate. You and your brother, Bob, did Olson Investigation Service. Tell us a little bit about that and some of the, the hijinks you got into there. Well, our... Our investigations focused around uh, workman's comp cases. Mm. In other words, somebody would claim they got hurt on the job and they couldn't go to work, but the employer always suspected that they were okay. And so uh, rather than pay them, continue to pay them, you know, uh, for not working, they'd hire us to uh, watch them. And try to get some video of them doing something that they claim they can't do. Well, we were really good at what we did. Um, a lot of guys would try to catch people, but the the bad guy would always catch them and uh, run them off. Well, we we were pretty good at not being detected. We would use vans and we would smoke the windows and we would park them in a the neighborhood. Uh, across the street from a guy's house and and video right from inside our vans and watch some guy changing the oil on his car or changing a tire or mowing the lawn or things like that. But a couple of the more interesting ones, 
I, I did was um, we this guy claimed he had a broken leg, and the employer knew that he uh, used to be a bowler. He liked to bowl, and so uh, we went around town. I went and searched bowl, different bowling alleys to see if this guy's name was posted because during league bowling, a lot of times yeah. they post the teams, you know, and the players and their scores. And so I, I walked around to these different bowling alleys until I found this guy's name. Sure enough, he bowls on whatever it was, Tuesday nights, and he's bowling at 7 o'clock. So I thought, okay, I know what he drives, so I'm going to wait for him in the parking lot. So sure enough, here he pulls up <laughs> and I'm sitting in my van, you know, and I got the video going and and uh, he gets opens the car door and he takes his cast off. It's Velcro. <laughs> He's got a Velcro on. So wow. he takes the cast off and he goes in and bowls three lines of bowling. Oh and I'm wearing a pair of glasses that's got a, a camera lands right in the center right here. And so I sit behind him up on the upper level there, you know, and I'm enjoying a beer and I'm watching him bowl three lines of bowling and I got it all on camera. Wow. Oh my gosh. And so just before he gets done, I sneak back outside. I get set up in my van and sure enough, he comes back out. He straps that cast on back on again. <laughs> oh, we nailed that boy good. <laughs> that is awesome. But we would also go and uh, we'd video guys playing basketball games or volleyball games or softball games. Uh, you'd be surprised what people do when, you know, they claim they're on workman's comp. Hmm. And uh, so, yeah, we we get them. We got them. That's awesome. Now, now Dad, do you, before you go on, how do you get the leads to go after those guys? Is it the insurance company, the work company, or who, who like, contacts you to, to do the follow-up? The employer, the HR employer. person. Uh, because what typically happens is is these, these uh, fraud people, yeah. they ended up turning in on a claim to that, that company saying that I'm I'm hurt for the rest of my life and and I want a settlement, you know, and right. so they want to save the big dollars. So they're not afraid to spend a little money trying to catch them. Gotcha. Now, one of my favorite stories uh, you investigating had to deal with a worker named Tony in a Pringles can. Please tell us about that. Jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. We had a guy uh, we were watching that was out uh his his home was around a lake and so basically you had one road going in you know that kind of follows the lake around and everybody's got their home next to it and so we are trying to figure out where in the world are we gonna park and not get caught you know uh and be suspicious so we said well somebody will drive a van in and then they get out, they lock it up, and another guy will come along and pick them up. And hopefully everybody sees it, and then they don't pay attention to that van anymore. So that's what we did. And we put this young guy in the back of that van, and they said, okay, now you're going to have to sit here all day. You know, hopefully it gets some video. 
And uh, it was in the middle of summer. It gets hot in there, boys. Let me tell you. You know what it gets like in a vehicle? Yep. So we had fans set up in there, but still, it gets very hot. Anyway, uh, we're sitting a couple miles away, and, of course, we got radios. We can talk to each other. And pretty soon, Tony calls, and he, he says, hey, Mike. Yeah. Uh, I got to get out of here. I said, it's only 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I know, but I got to get out of here. I said, what's the problem? He said, I got to take a crap, and I got to take it really bad right now. <laughs> I said, Tony, you, we can't. We can't get you out of there. Uh, you're going to have to figure something out. Find something in there uh, to go. Because normally, you know, we would save empty water bottles, you know, yeah. so you could take a leak if you had to. <laughs> Never really thought about taking a crap. Anyway, so he he said, okay, I think I found something that'll work. <laughs> and so when we go and get him about, I don't know, four or five o'clock that afternoon, oh my God. I go in the van and open the van and the stench fellas would scare you. <laughs> Oh. There he went and took a crap in a Pringles can. Oh, <laughs> Pringles no. potato chip. Oh. They're only about that big. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what's more impressive. Like, <laughs> it was hilarious. I told that story for years. It was hilarious. Oh, man. I would wow. like to get him on the show and have him explain how he did that. <laughs> wow. Now, uh, now let me ask you this. You said that you primarily dealt in workers' comp, but I have to ask, did you ever do any private investigating for, like, uh, like affairs or, or – or? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. We did a couple of them. And uh, this this one guy – was uh, working at a, a federal building. He was, uh, I think he was uh, Department of Agriculture or something. Anyway, he would, he lived in the southeast part of the state uh, with his family. But then during the week, he would travel to a town called Huron, South Dakota, which is in the center of South Dakota. And he'd spend the week there, Monday through Friday. Well, his wife started getting a little suspicious of, that, of this guy. And so she hired us, said, see what you can find out. So there was a, uh, there was a, uh, a hotel right across the street from this federal building. And the employees would always drive into the basement to park their vehicles uh, underground and, uh, and then go to work. Well, we started watching this guy. Uh, and so we, we figured out his routine, time he leaves work, where he drives, where he's living. And okay. So we, we tail him out of work and, uh, take him to his house. And then one night he, he goes to a bar restaurant and he goes there alone. But when he comes out, he's got a gal with him. Mm. Ah, so he, we follow him back to his house. Now we got to sit there. They're in there for, I don't know how long it takes them to get the job done, but <laughs> probably, probably two or three hours, you know, and uh, pretty soon 
I'll take him. He takes her home. Okay, so we got that. And then uh, then we we catch him or, or we catch her driving to the federal building one night. He stays late. And we're wondering why he's not coming out of there. Pretty soon, here her car comes, and he's down there by the garage door because the employees probably got garage door openers, you know. Yep. Here the garage door goes up, starts coming up, and there he stands, and here she drives in, and he closes the garage door. Wow. So they're in there again. They do their two- or three-hour deal. And pretty soon, he opens the garage door. Out she comes, closes the door. So we nailed that one pretty good. <laughs> I got to say, like two, three hours, hats off to that guy. <laughs> Was there ever a moment in doing the private investigating when you, like, nailed the perp, but you didn't feel good about it? Like, you, it didn't have a good feeling. Was there any any case like that? Well, we had cases where we would actually report back to the employer that this guy really looks like he's hurt. And, you know, if you keep us on here, we think you're wasting your money. Wow. You know, Uh, so there were a few of them, but most times they were the employer's hunch was always absolutely on the money. They Hmm. knew and we would catch them. We, we had a guy that lived on a farm, and uh, they've been trying to catch for years. And uh, all the other investigators they'd send out there could never get nothing. Well, we went out there and looked, looked the area over here. Uh, we, we found out that uh, there was some grain bins, like that one Ryan called up on, you know. <laughs> they were kind of like that. It's all and they were right across the road from this guy's farmyard. Was he jumping in them? No, Ryan wasn't <laughs> no. there. <laughs> but but the, the funny thing is, is we, we talked to the owner of those grain bins, and we said, hey, is there any chance you'd let us get in one of them grain bins because we're watching this guy across the road? Oh, he says, absolutely. He said, I can't stand that SOB. <laughs> he said, I'll let you do whatever you want. So he said, the grain bin is full, full of corn. So uh, we thought, well, if we go in there in the dark, somebody crawls up there and gets inside, then them grain beds have a little flap on the side of them that kind of open up on the top. And maybe we could film something in the going on in the yard. So my partner and I would go out to this farm and he would drop me off about a mile away, half mile, and I'd walk in there in the dark. And I'd climb up that grain bin and crawl in the top, close the lid, and then I'd sit in there all day. I'd take my lunch and water with me, of course, and we, we caught that guy. We caught him hauling hay bales, uh, feeding his cattle, uh, working on machinery, Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. But, but we got him. We nailed I, him. I, uh, I I had all these visuals come to mind. <laughs> so it's like, you know, 
you get out of the van or whatever in the dark, you know, you're painted up, you're wearing all camo, you got the you got the face paint on and you're going up and as you're and you know, it, it plays just like a movie and as you're crawling up the ladder to the grain bin, we see a can of Pringles out, out of your backpack. <laughs> <laughs> just in case. Just, just in, in case. case. <laughs> uh, Tony never leaves behind a can of Pringles now. <laughs> well, I'm I'm known as being the guy. If you've listened to the podcast, you know I I kind of kill the mood. Um, I might tell the wrong story at the wrong time. I might ask the wrong question at the wrong time. This is one of those moments, Mike. What was the saddest experience you had as a cop? Something that you actually like made you cry because you were just so sad by the situation. Do you have a story that way? I had a very bad situation, yes. Um, well, I had a couple of them, actually. Um, my secretary that had been with me for many, many years when I was sheriff, um, I get a call one night. Uh, she was my daytime secretary. But I get a call in the middle of the night from um, a law enforcement agency in another state uh, telling me that uh, this this gentleman had been killed in an accident, and it was her husband. Mm. And so I had uh, it was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. I had to go over to her house and tell her. And at oh. the time, she had three small boys, mm. and uh, I had to go tell them that you know their father and her husband had just been killed and. I'm telling you, them boys came after me and started hitting on me. Of course, oh. they don't know how to deal with something like that, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so I had to try to deal with them kids, and I had to try to deal with Darlene, uh, my best friend, you know. And it was a horrible situation, and I, I was just very sad and uh, really broken up about it. But um uh, that's that's part of the business, I guess. You you just don't expect it to hit that close to home. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but I, and another unfortunate deal is, uh, t again, I get a call in the middle of the night. Uh, hey, so-and-so was just in an accident. Uh, can you go let the family know? Well, what I found out is that uh, some friends of mine had been out in the Black Hills deer hunting. And they were on their way back, and someone hit their vehicle head on. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, the father, his son, and his uh, son or uh, son-in-law. And uh, so they they told me who it was, and so I had to go to this house and tell them that the the father was killed. Mm -hmm. And of course, here's. All these people are in this house waiting for the men to get home that night. Yep. And so they're all there. And so I went and I told him, I said, I'm sorry, but Harold was killed in a car accident. Um, and, you know, he won't be coming home. And so you go through all the terrible things. And I always would take a, a clergy along with me in those mm -hmm. situations, you know. Uh, just so that they can comfort the family. And so after spending about an hour with the family, I finally leave. And then I get the other dreaded phone call. It's that 
law enforcement agency again, and they they tell me, I'm sorry, we made a terrible mistake. It wasn't the father that was killed. It was the the son-in-law that was killed. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? I got to go back to that house and tell him that? Oh, my god. And I did. You you can't believe it. Uh, You tell him, I'm sorry it wasn't your husband. And you look at the daughter and you say, it was your husband. Oh, Oh, that was bad. And and I knew these people so well. And just, it was really, really hard to do. How do you do do that? Yeah. You got to do it. Yeah. That was pretty tough. Wow. Man, you're a legend. Yeah. That would be rough to get through. I want to know how to... Like, hey, good news, bad news. Like, <laughs> John, you'd be so bad. At it. I would be so bad at it. I'm like, good news, bad news here. He's who alive. Wants good, who yeah. wants the good news first? But wait, there's more. <laughs> oh. Remember I said bad news, right? <laughs> I brought pizza. <laughs> John. John. You're terrible. Now, wh- why we're on sad stories? Uh, when I was a kid, I remember one time uh, Ipswich was on, uh, or your law, your sheriff's office was on CNN for that deal with the the guy and his kids. Talk talk about that. Well, I uh, I was actually uh, at the state academy teaching. Uh, some new dare officers when uh, I got a call that uh, I got taken out of the classroom and they said, you need to head for home right away. What happened? Well, there was a big shooting. What? So I take off. I call my dispatcher. I said, what the heck's going on? Oh, there was a, a big shooting up at the Hosmer school. I said, you got to be kidding me. Yep. And we got one deputy on the way. We got highway patrolmen coming from all over the state heading up there to help. I said, well, I was about 150 miles away. Wow. And um, I I had that pedal to the metal all the way to Hosmer. And I get there. And it's a, it's a horrible scene. What had happened? is this gal, she had four kids. Uh, Three of them were in school, and one was just a a toddler um, that she had to carry in in a car seat. Well, she she took the, and she had told me in the past that she was afraid of this guy uh, who was currently living in Rapid City out by the Black Hills. Uh, but And so we had no reason to believe that he was ever going to show up in Hosmer, but apparently he did that morning. But she took the kids to school right in front of the school and was going to let the three elementary kids out of the car. When this guy walks up to the car, shoots the mother and puts a bullet in those three elementary kids. Uh, bullet in their heads, each each one of them, and he takes off with the toddler. Oh no! And so we show up, and when I get there, I mean, there's helicopters coming in uh, from 
uh, television stations, everywhere you can imagine. And we got highway patrolmen, deputies out looking for this guy because I don't know how he possibly could have gotten out of Hosmer or away without somebody seeing him. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, if I catch this guy, it was probably the most horrific scene I've ever uh, investigated. I said, I thought, if I come across this guy, his life isn't worth two cents. Mm -hmm. And so finally we get a call. One of the deputies spotted him outside of town sitting on an approach. And I said, well, wait for a backup. Wait till more units get there. So a few more units show up and they finally approach the car. They don't see any movement in the vehicle. Wow. So they walk up there and here this guy had committed suicide, but he had the toddler in the back seat in a car seat prior to doing himself in, he put a bullet in that toddler's oh, head my goodness. and the toddler wasn't dead yet. And so we flew that toddler to Minneapolis and it did later die. But, uh, you know, it's one of them deals. Geez, he, the guy took his own life. That's too bad because I guarantee you one of us would have taken it if we'd have had the chance. Wow. Ah, it was just horrible. Never seen anything that horrific. Wow. But them people aren't in their right mind either. Yeah. You know, to do something like that? Just not. Yeah, that's super tragic. Wow. I say we got we got to end on a funny story, Ryan. All right. (laughs) So, all right. So, let's switch gears here um, to pull us out of this. Well, we, we need, need to, to hear about right. we need to hear about Ryan. So, as a cop, when did you like? I want to hear like teenage Ryan. Did he ever have? He was in big trouble. You had to come save the day as a cop because Ryan was doing something stupid. Really? You want a good one? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So he's he's at some wedding or pre-wedding party rehearsal or whatever. Well, they, they end up at this hotel. Uh, this is in Aberdeen. And whoop, whoop. I get a phone call. Of course, again, middle of the night, you know. Uh, I need help. Really. What's going on? Uh, my car's hung up and, and I need you to get over here right away. Okay, so I take off for Aberdeen, and here's for this hotel they were staying at is right next to railroad tracks. For some unknown reason, that drunken little piece of crap thought he could drive across the railroad tracks. Oh, my goodness. And he gets hung up, of course. Well, him and his buddies are trying to lift the car off of the railroad <laughs> and and I I know the cops are coming. I know they're coming because I'm the sheriff in the next county. And but I know them cops are going to show up. And he's drunker than you can about imagine. <laughs> sure enough, here come the cops. What's going on here? Who's responsible for that car? That guy right there. <laughs> My boy. <laughs> what? That's your boy, Mike. Yeah. 
<laughs> and I'm thinking, oh boy, if the boys, if you ever do me a favor, you'll be doing me one tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, they let him go. Wow. <laughs> they should have locked him up and threw the key away. Wow. Let, let me tell my side of the story. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here we go. It ain't much That's what better. I was waiting for. <laughs> it ain't much better. So it was a wedding reception. It was my best friend's brother. Wedding reception. How old are and you, man? I am I'm 18, 19, or 20, somewhere in there. <laughs> nice. And uh anyway, the wedding reception's done. We all got like two hotel rooms at this hotel. And I drove I shouldn't have been driving, but I drove somebody else home before I went to the hotel. And when I'm driving back to the hotel, where this hotel was, there used to be a grain elevator right next to there. It's always the grain with you. Yes. Well, this grain grain elevator had gotten tore down. Okay. So there was a, basically like the, the drive to go to the grain elevator, the approach or the road to go to it was right there, right next to the other road that I should have took. (laughs) <laughs> to so I turned too early and I noticed I was not driving on a road anymore. I was there was grass <laughs> next to me when I was driving. And I saw the ho- I saw the hotel and I'm like, oh, I'll just turn over I'll just turn and go to the hotel. And and boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I'm stuck in the middle of railroad track. So I run over to the hotel. I can see all my buddies up in these windows, and I'm yelling. I'm like, "Hey, you uh, guys!" At the, time, at the time, yeah. At the time, I lived with my friend Devin, and I seen him, and I'm like, "Devin, Devin!" They all look like, "What are you doing?" I just, I need every, I need your help. Get all the guys you can get. So they come, they come, they think I'm in a fight or something or somebody's because that's typically me, and so they all come running down. And I, they go, what? what's wrong? What's wrong? And I point over to my car, and they just all start <laughs> laughing at me. And I'm like, we got to get it off the tracks. So we go over there, and there was about, it was me, uh, Nathan Davis, and Devin. We lifted that car off the tracks, just so you guys know. We lifted that car uh-huh. off the tracks. Uh-huh. I, ne- I never doubted it. Uh-huh. They really it was off did. the tracks, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. They we did. lifted because I was I was afraid a train was going to come. I'm like, oh my god, I would be in so much trouble if a train hits this thing. Uh, so first, I called my uncle Jim, who lived in Aberdeen, who was on a farm, and I called him first because I did not want to call my dad, and I thought he could come out and tow my car off of there before anybody saw it. Of course, he didn't answer his phone. Uh, so then I called, I think I called one of my uncles, nobody answered there, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to call my dad. <laughs> so I called him, and he comes in there, and it wasn't too long after you showed up, the cops showed up. Yeah. And all my friends, there had to have been 15 of them, sitting on a curb watching this uh, cop car. So the cops pull me into their car, and they go, have you been drinking tonight? And dad, my dad can attest, it smelled... It smelled like I've been drinking for about three weeks. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I had a couple of pops, if that's what you mean. That's what I told them. And they're like, and then the tow truck driver wanted to talk to me. So they're like, go go talk to that tow truck driver, then come back. So I go run to talk to the tow truck driver. Well, this ditch was filled with water. I fall flat-faced into this ditch full of water as I'm running. I talk to him. And then the cops want me back there, so I run back there, and my friends are just dying laughing because I keep falling in this water. 
And they took my car away. I didn't get a ticket. Uh, I don't even know if my dad even said anything to me before he left. <laughs> he was so mad. And boy, did I pay the price because my car was so totaled. The, the, all the uh, tires were ruined. The axle was ruined. Uh, we had to get all that fixed. And then uh, that's my IPS check went all to that. And, and then uh, uh, the biggest thing, though, was the cops told me the railroad company will call you because they have to test that. And if it's broke, you have to pay for all the damages. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And they said it can be $20,000 or more. And I'm like, oh. And thank God nothing was damaged on the railroad tracks. But, yeah, yeah, that was uh, – that. Th- if my dad wasn't there, that would have been a – that would have been a bad one. Yeah. So based off this story, Ryan, is the biggest life lesson, don't drink and drive or don't drive over a railroad track? <laughs> uh, both are very good lessons. I don't... <laughs> they're both very good. Now, Dad, I, I did want to... We didn't get to go into this at all, and I did want to get into this. There's no sad stories in this, but you did code enforcing. You were the first ever code enforcement officer for Aberdeen. Uh, you did that. You retired from there, and you had your, then you did your own business where you served about thirty different communities in the state of South Dakota by being their code enforcement officer for their town. Explain a little bit what code enforce court enforcing is, and then tell us some good stories. Uh, and I have a good one too of you code enforcing. Well, code enforcement is uh, providing enforcement uh, in the areas of property maintenance. Uh, building maintenance, yard maintenance, uh, that sort of thing. People that try to accumulate junk cars or, or other junk in their yards, uh, buildings that aren't being kept up, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, and, and so you're, you're enforcing city ordinances uh, in areas inside the sidewalk, in other words, on people's personal property. And of course, they they take that very personal, you know. And most people do. Uh, they feel like, hey, it's my property; I can do anything I want on it. Well, not in today's world. You you really can't anymore. <laughs> you got to follow the rules. Uh, and so uh, that that's what I would provide for these smaller communities because they couldn't afford to hire somebody full time. And I would offer this service to them on a contract. They pay me so much an hour and I come in for one day and and uh, uh, do inspections in the community and then issue letters to people to correct it. Uh, so that's pretty much what it amounted to. And, and like Ryan said, I was working for about 30 towns across the wow. state wow. Wow. Uh, trying to help them. Well, you know, you run into a lot of things and, and uh, uh, one of the the worst things is is a hoarder. Uh, I'm sure you've watched it on TV. Oh, yeah. um, and, and I'm I'm a eyewitness of some of the worst. Let me tell you, uh, we suspected a lady uh, of being a hoarder, and just because of the things we started seeing accumulating in the yard outside, and her vehicle, um, and and. Uh, a typical hoarder will keep all of the curtains drawn and the shades pulled so no one can see in. Uh, so finally, uh, we went knocking on the door. Of course, 
couldn't get in. She wouldn't answer the door. Uh, so we, we got a warrant to get in the house. And um, yeah, we had to forcibly push the door open oh, uh, oh to, to, so we could just squeeze in. And once we were in, everything was stacked to, well, there was about a one to two foot crawl space between the ceiling and the debris that was piled up in, wow. in these rooms. And this was a very large house. Uh, and so in order to get from one room to the other, you had to crawl up on top of the debris. Wow. This lady wow. was living in there and her living space was upstairs. And so the the stairway was cluttered with food and clothing and debris she would have to crawl up there on her hands and knees and crawl into a bed surrounded by debris everywhere. Uh, the bathroom was not usable. The, uh, the kitchen was not really usable uh, other than a very, very small space. And we ended up, you know, there were three stories to this house, including a basement. I cannot tell you the amount of dumpsters we hauled out of that wow. house. Uh, a dumpster, you know, them 12-foot-long, big yep, metal yep. Uh, sliding dumpsters. We had conveyor belts set up from inside the house out into the yard to and, and then into these dumpsters. I don't know. Maybe we hauled out 25 or 30 of them dumpsters. But I cleaned that place out down to the bare floor. Wow. And, uh, it, you know, she was just a junk hoarder. Now, how many uh, Pringle cans of doo-doo did you find in there? <laughs> <laughs> now, there's animal hoarders, too, you know. People that hoard animals. Those are probably some of the more disgusting ones. Yeah. Just because they never let their animals out. And... <sighs> So here you got uh, a single person living with all these animals that are, you know, defecating through the whole house, everywhere in the house. And it's really disgusting. And mm. you can rarely save that house. It usually has to be demolished just because it's beyond. You'll never get the smell out of it, uh, wow. no matter how much work you do to it. Uh, so. Yeah. When you when you do that type of stuff, is that the city paying for it? Like all the dumpsters and all the cleaning fee, the city pays for all that removal, or does that get charged back to the person initially, or the family? Initially, yeah. the city pays that bill up front, and then we assess it against the property, should gotcha. it ever get sold. Yeah. All right. Well, we appreciate you letting us take a peek into the life of Mike Olson. Uh, we'll end on that for today. Uh, we'd love to having you on. Maybe yeah. we'll have you on again sometime if you don't. Uh, if you're still alive, be great. <laughs> oh, oh, well, yeah, don't put it off too long. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was a great experience. You guys are a hoot. No, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks Thank for being you, on, Mike. Mike. Well, Your stories you. are just legendary. Like, yeah. oh man, I, that I was awesome. Like, I feel like we maybe cracked, you know, like if let's say 100% of his stories, we got maybe 10%, if that. I mean, <laughs> if that. we'll have you back on for some more stories, Mike. Uh, 
All right. With that, thanks for tuning in to the bonus episode of Storytelling with Mike. Till next time, peace. We out of here.